Welcome to the Geekcentric Podcast, and welcome to our watch club for Marvel's Loki. What say you, Loki? Ugh, don't call me that. Call me Randy. What's up, Time Fugitives, and welcome to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and in this week's episode, we see Loki get a new jacket, engage in a missing persons case, and discover just how the Time Fugitive keeps slipping through the grasp of the TVA. But first, if you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and the MCU in general, so if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in a snap. Now, before we all go to the Renaissance Fair, let me introduce you to two of my favorite time analysts. First up, he's tall, tame, and timely. He's Justin. Ahoy hoy. Nice and brief, right? Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Quick and dirty. (laughs) And next up, uh, sometimes he's ticked, and sometimes he's talked. He's got two hands on his clock, and he's ready to rock. He's Kevin (laughs) Hudson. I'm sorry. He has two hands on his what? On his clock. His clock. Okay. I'm thankful. It's a time reference, Justin. Remember where the weird part is, though, that I have one big hand and one small hand. It's very (laughs) very straight. That's why I can never play sports. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Welcome back. Are you guys excited to jump into this next second episode of the series? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited because we're doing it a week before the episode actually airs. So it feels cool. It feels cool. cool. Yeah. You know what though? You know what though? I was thinking though. You know, there's going to be you know what 11 days between seeing this episode and getting to see episode three. Yeah, so now we're now we're suffering like like everybody else. In a yeah, exactly. <laughs> I enjoyed, um, you know, I kind of caught a little bit again uh, as I came down this morning. My dad was watching it and uh, just got to catch the ending. And I, I got to say, I'm probably going to go probably going to rewatch the first two episodes before Likewise. the third one yeah. uh, comes out. So yeah. very stoked for that. Uh, but you know what? Before we get into the third episode, uh, we still got to talk about this episode. So uh, before we get into the plot and sort of get into our thoughts on what happened, you know, go study through the case files of this episode, if you will. Uh, let's start with a brief overview of your you know, high level thoughts on the episode. Uh, Justin, let's start with you. Yeah. So I guess last episode we kind of landed on. It was a very history lesson reset of the character you know, establishing that there's this whole new environment for him to kind of be in and explore with the TVA. Um, and this, like you described it, it's it's very case file. It feels, it felt kind of like seven minus like horrifying murders that, that took place. But like, it just had that quality of a very seven detective mystery, film noir, crime sort of-esque yeah, sort of vibe. Almost like and, a CSI, like you expected like Loki when they were in the tent to like, <laughs> take his glasses down and then look up and say something epic. You yeah! know? <laughs> glasses so he wasn't good. even wearing. It's like just cuts and he has glasses <laughs> right, on. Right, all of yeah. a sudden. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it was cool to see, though, just again, him kind of getting used to this new place that he's in and, and being a part of it, like helping them. Very cool. Kevin, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, when we were doing, you know, even just our preview show, uh, and I know a lot of people's first reactions, uh, it was sort of, almost um, compared to a buddy cop show. And mm. and so we, we did kind of get that vibe here. And it was sort of what I was looking forward to the most from the show was 
was sort of, you know, um, uh, Mobius and Loki teaming up and, and starting to really crack into this case. Uh, that being said, with things that happen towards the episode, uh, the end of the episode, rather, I think that might be a one and done. I'm really not sure. Uh, obviously, we'll break that down a little bit more mm. as, as we go through mm. the episode. Uh, I yeah. really hope that's not the case, but uh, there was certainly a lot to digest here. Uh, lots of, uh, you know, while we moved through the story, we still were learning how things work. Um, I found it a bit more confusing than last week, some of the elements. Uh, maybe you guys will be able to help me as we sort of dissect all of those things. But again, a super solid follow-up. Um Another great, you know, sort of ending punch note cliffhanger. Like, I, I can't wait. Like, the show's off and running, and I'm enjoying every second of it. Yeah, I, I, I really, uh, I really hope what you just said, though, in terms of it being potentially a one and done. I really hope that's not the case, just because in these past two episodes, like Owen Wilson and Loki, or and Tom Hiddleston, have, he is Loki, have had just the the most incredible chemistry on screen, and so. Uh, yeah, I hope they don't keep them uh, apart for too long, but we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Um, I got to say, this episode moves things you know ahead really nicely, and it, it has a really good balance of action blended with more expositional, expositional dialogue. Like It, it kind of um, does a good job of both, whereas maybe the first one was a little bit more exposition heavy. Um, and you know, it, it, it still does it where it feels natural and exciting at the same time. Uh, and the episode kind of really works to constantly remind us that it's all about Loki until the end. Even Loki kind of reminds us that it's all about Loki. And then we get to the end and you realize just how much bigger of an impact the events of this series can have for the entire MCU. And so I really enjoyed that aspect, you know, kind of that pacing, not just for the episode, but for the series in as a whole, I think is really cool that we're already off to the races by the end of this episode. Yeah, you guys are right on that part, you know, other than obviously the mystery and crime sort of aspect that that the episode kind of added to Loki's character with Mobius. Uh, it definitely does set up what will be some some very uh, critical events for the MCU. Like, oh, yeah. just, We're getting just into insane. It. We're going to get so. into it. We'll get into it. I'm so yeah. stoked for our predictions uh, that we'll actually get to make this time around. Um, so, guys, let's get right into the plot here. This episode begins in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which is hard to say, uh, in 1985 at a Renaissance fair, where we see some TVA Minutemen in absolutely the wrong costumes investigate the latest known location of the time fugitive they've been hunting. They enter a dark tent where Hunter C-20 is possessed and then proceeds to start taking out the rest of her crew. After a brutal fight and a kind of an epic song moment, she falls unconscious and then is dragged by the time fugitive through a time door uh, and we get our title sequence. So guys, just to kind of get it started. So what do you think of this sort of new way to open the show? I know they kind of did it with uh, with Falcon and Winter Soldier where we kind of got a bit of a, a cold open. Um, but, you know, they didn't do that in, in WandaVision. So this is still a little bit new to us. I mean, this is only the third live action series. Um, and then what did you think also of kind of seeing uh, the time fugitive abduct C-20? Just this kind of entire scene. I mean, I, I, you know, the cold open has become such a, a staple in television over the last years that it, it you know, it's always welcome in my book. I love just a little taste of of what we're going to get. And then, you know, it, it, you, you always get that little cliffhanger for the rest of the episode. And that and right. then it makes that title sequence really punch, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it it almost gets you a bit more amped for the episode than just starting with the title sequence and, you know, and then starting the show sort of does. 
Yeah. And we haven't even talked about the title sequence. Like, you know, having the the sort of different characters show up, um, you know, this episode, we're going to we're going to start talking about different variants of Loki. Uh, and I think that's really what that title sequence is supposed to encompass. Um, and, you know, you do see one with with small horns and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I, mean, I talked about it. I talked about it last in the last episode as mm-hmm. well. Right. Like it has that sort of that that uh, sort of crime vibe to it right Mm -hmm. even though it's flipping through it's that black and white it's very gritty and it's almost like the kind of clock you'd see at like a factory where it's like the rolling numbers rolling flipping clock. Yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or you know what it reminded me of was, you know, like airports, like when they have like the flippy thing that shows yeah, different yes. locations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what I said last that's week. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, it's an original thought that I had, Justin. But, um, but no, but you know what? I'm like, I, I, I'm like, am I, like we literally recorded this ad, that episode like two days ago. So it's like, Justin, it's there. Listen, listen, I, I get it. We, great minds, you know? Um, but no, I, I, I did, I did enjoy seeing, Seeing, um, you know how easy it was for the for the we're just going to say the fugitive for now uh, to take out the Minutemen, and I mean clearly they've done so this they've done this so many times um, that it's almost just like laughable at this time, and then all to the tune of uh, Bonnie Tyler's holding up for a hero, which I thought was was perfect. Um, and Sasha Lane, who plays C twenty, uh, just a quick shout out, she plays Jessica Hyde in the now um, sadly canceled Amazon series Utopia. Sadly is really... a strong word. No, it is sad. <laughs> Kevin, that show is good. Um, it was I, for honestly... the first two episodes. <laughs> Let's not <laughs> even listen. talk about that because if this goes in that trajectory, we're all going to be canceling <laughs> no. our Disney Plus subscriptions in I, six listen. weeks. I, I think at the very least, um, I think Sasha Lane was really intriguing in that show, and I hope I hope we get a little bit more of her in this series as well, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but, okay, guys, let's continue here. We cut back to see Loki reading from a jet ski magazine while studying the history of the TVA with Miss Minutes. Uh, then, as he playfully tries to smack her with the rolled-up magazine, Mobius approaches him and informs him that there's been another attack while handing him a new jacket that labels him as variant. During the debrief, Hunter B-15 informs the group that they've gathered enough temporal aura uh, to determine that the fugitive is based on our Loki variant, but which kind of Loki remains unknown. Uh, The lesser kind, to be clear, as Loki quips. Uh, As they cycle through the different variants, uh, sorry, variations, Mobius says the TVA has pruned more Lokis than any other variant. After a quick correction on the topic of illusion projection from Loki, Mobius explains that If they go in as two teams bringing Loki along, it'll help them find the variant faster. Loki poses the question of betrayal, and Mobius shuts him down, asking him how's that going to get him an audience with the timekeepers. After coming through the time door into the 1985 Renaissance Fair, they investigate the tent and learn that everyone in C-20's crew had been murdered, except she was taken hostage by the time fugitive. After Loki fails to gain more security in their agreement, the TVA sets a reset charge and restores the timeline. Whew. Okay, so guys, what did you think of the different Loki variants? The fact that the TVA has pruned more Lokis than any other variant and Loki's failed attempt to gain more assurance from Mobius. Justin. I feel like the various Loki variants just means that this is what Loki is meant to do is to be this this person, right? And I think that's what Mobius kind of hints at in the first episode and we kind mm. of now have more of an understanding of that that like this is this is in Loki's nature to do this. But they've always caught them. This one is a, this this one's being a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've never thought of maybe pulling in a Loki to kind of 
learn from. So I think that that's like really cool that we established that, you know, hit the various versions of, of Loki, it, they're doing the same thing. They've they've cheated their way and, and leaped through time. So it's 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 a fun sort of continuity to create through that character and the variations of him. I love that because that kind of instantly helps to, you know, I was saying in our previous episode that uh, Hunter B-15, I thought that, you know, her sort of, um, she's really nervous of, of working with Loki. She doesn't like Loki at all. And this really helps to to understand that more. She's obviously hunted a ton of Lokis before. Or she's been um, a part of and it, just, yeah. And you yeah. know, shouting out some of those Lokis, we got a Tour de France Loki, right? The Hulk Loki was incredible. Like, I'm sure those are all some sort of reference to different versions of Loki in the comics. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, Kevin, what did you think of all those different Lokis? Oh, yeah, that was that was a fun little glimpse. And it really does help to sort of, uh, you know, help us understand. Like, it, it's a good sort of laying the groundwork for, you know, things to come in the episode so that they make more sense for the viewer. And it's and it's just that much more easy to identify what's going on when we when we sort of get our way t- uh, to the end of the episode. So it was a smart way to do it. But it did. There were some tantalizing options there that you right. know I almost wish we could have seen. So it's interesting, you know, but they're all pruned. Justin, I, I also think it was really interesting to continue this. What are these like sort of time resets? What do they look like? Right. Like we've seen them being set. And at the end, we saw the fugitive variant steal a whole bunch of them and, and disappear and burn a field. So, you know, to see that in action, to see what it actually does. Right. Where and it how sort it just, of spreads out. And yeah, it helps yeah, establish yeah. again, as, as Kevin says, for things that will come uh, later in the episode. But it, it gives, you know, why was this fugitive variant stealing all of these and to see what it does now yeah. and how it resets timelines it's it's an interesting sort of thing so it just helps setting that up so that that payoff will be a lot better at the end and like i loved loki's reaction when mobius mentions that loki's are the most pruned variant like like the amount of like mental compartmentalization that this guy must be having to do is wild like we talked about how he had a long day in the first episode and now he's hearing that Every version of him that's ever existed has been pruned um, for the most part or, or like a lot of them have. And I also think like the fact that Loki wasn't able to trick Mobius uh, this time around in the tent, I think he's kind of losing his edge, but it's for a good reason, right? It's it, Their bond is getting stronger. Uh, Mobius is able to discern when Loki is being honest or or not, you know, a little bit more. Um, and I, I think that's oh, yeah. that's really good for their characters. Yeah, two great call out moments for that is is when when he corrects Mobius and Mobius yeah. looks at him and says, "Okay, take a breath." You know, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you do sorry. that to me all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Take a breath. And yeah. then uh, the other one was when he when he you know Loki's trying to get him. And he just pauses and there's that long pause and he's like, he's tricking us, right? Like you just see like clued <laughs> yeah. in. So I thought I thought those were some great, great tactics there to so kind good. of show the strength of the character. I mean, we can't ever underestimate Loki. Maybe he's just lulling him into a false sense of security. You know, Ooh. he's just he's getting him on his side so that when the moment strikes, he can take advantage. Who knows? Yeah. Interesting. We'll have definitely more to say about that. Well, listen, let's keep going here. Um, in the next scene, we see Mobius sitting in Ravona's office as she continues to doubt his choices to trust Loki, calling him an evil lying scourge. She mentions that the timekeepers are monitoring every aspect of this case and that they have never been more involved, stating that they want this variant caught. Once he exits, Loki instantly attempts to explain his actions at the Renaissance Fair, and Mobius, Mobius brushes him off and tries to explain to Loki that he thought Loki's incessant need for validation would motivate him to find the fugitive, but apparently he was wrong. 
He asks Loki in a final attempt to work with him to study case files until they can find a breakthrough. After requesting to read whatever files he was authorized to read, which were only his own, uh, he discovers an event inquiry and breaks down uh, as he reads the, of the destruction of Asgard and most of its people. But this does lead him to a hunch that he explains while ruining Mobius's lunch that the fugitive is hiding in the apocalypse on the sacred timeline or different apocalypses. They travel back to 79 AD to Pompeii, Italy, just before the volcano erupts to test the theory. And they discover that Loki is absolutely right. Nothing he does, including releasing some goats and telling all the locals in Italian that they're about to die, none of that causes any branches in the timeline at all. So, guys, what did you think of going, you know, kind of going over this in, this entire scene here? Ravona's distrust, distrust of Loki, Loki's reaction to the destruction of Asgard, and the discovery made in Pompeii. Well, like, I think first, Ravona, she's going to have doubts. He's a variant. And if there's a history of Loki's, it goes without saying that she probably a little bit hesitant. Uh, the whole Asgardian salad thing was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought like just how we got to that theory uh, based on on all of that. Um, go ahead, I mean, go. wasn't wasn't that the smallest salad you've ever seen though? Like, <laughs> yeah. That was his lunch. That's a side salad. Come on, yeah, yeah it's, it's a side salad. But maybe I they don't it, eat a lot in the TVA. You there know? we go. Yeah, but uh, I thought it was really funny though. Just the, the back and forth. He's explaining this theory with really muddled sort of analogy, and Mobius is just kind of like, "I want that salad. That's my lunch, <laughs> right?" And then, yeah. and then at the end of it, he's just like. What am I looking at here? Right, yeah, like he yeah. just doesn't understand. <laughs> well, and even Loki, then you know that was kind of a weak analogy. My apologies. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. What when he gets up and he, he walks over to Casey and picks up the juice box and Casey's yeah. like, "You!" and then he just steals his juice box and pours it in there. It was uh, such a good moment. Um, you know, seeing him cry at, in in discovering the destruction of uh, Asgard. It, you know, it kind of made me realize, like, this guy does have a heart. Like, he actually cares about the death of all those people and of his home. Um, and so I just thought it was another great touching moment. And, and again, Tom Hiddleston's acting there was was fantastic. Well, I mean, he's he's not actually a monster. You know, he's, he's, a, right. he's a prick and he wants to rule. That's just in, yeah. his, in his nature. But, yeah. you know, he, he was devastated by the loss of his mother and his father and, you know, uh, he was touched by the rekindling with his brother and then shocked and appalled by his own death. And now here again, he's getting this overwhelming news, you know, like the, the guy has a heart and uh, yeah. or a, a soul, if you will. Uh, we, right. we, we, we already saw that, um, <laughs> you know, so again, yeah, it, it's nice, though, to see him almost humanized in those moments. And he acts that uh, Tom Hiddleston just performs them so well. Yeah. Remember, last episode, he said it best. You know, his illusion is driven by his own weakness. And, you know, that's that's kind of it. Like he has he has his own sort of issues, if you will, that he portrays through a, sort of a mask that allows him to be the villain or be perceived as the villain. But I don't think that that's the case. And I think that through the MCU, they've established that. But that being said, you know, Tom Hiddleston having like an emotional reaction that looked very genuinely for the first time, even though he was in the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it felt sure, very yeah. authentic, right? So, and I, I love the I love the different ancillary characters that are around him. That you know they sort of work to to prove just how well written Loki is because you know he's constantly saying like you know the, the they're hunting the lesser Loki or like 
when uh, when the lady in the library shushes him and he shushes her back, like he always has to get in the final word. Like he can't just, you know, let it go. I think it's also really interesting the the sort of the architecture that they're surrounded by where very traditional library. Uh, yeah. You know, like even when they zoom in on the keyboard that that the, the receptionist is on, it's it's an old school chunky '80s computer, which is very in right now for right. Twitch streamers like Nate. And hey, then, uh, I've already ordered one. You know, yeah, there we I figured. Go. Yeah. Um, and then you know, just just the idea that paper, like things are written down, things are documented yeah. in a very, you know, you would think that if this is the future, because even in the Pompeii scene. He's like, we're from the future. It feels like the future, right? Like it, it does, but it's not at the same time. It doesn't look like the future, but it is very futuristic. So it's, right. he, you know, it's interesting that he has that same sort of complex with, with, with the TVA like we kind of do. Well, and then, so you mentioned Pompeii. And so this is what I've been dying for from this show is to get into these, you know, scenarios where they have a chance to interact with historical events. And when we were listening to the press conference, the writer uh, said that that was one of the the biggest challenges and one of the most enjoyable parts was trying to pick moments in time that they could sort of visit without Ooh. being too obvious, um, you know, to nail on the, you know, hammer on the head of the nail sort of thing. And so, um, I mean, I'm a big history guy. And so to go and see the actual explosion of, of Mount Pompeii was was um, really exciting. Yeah, and I mean, it's, you you said he he specifically used the word moments, so maybe we're going to be getting more. Well, I mean, they they did the DB Cooper, um, yes. so they played with that in the first episode. Even if there's yeah. just one moment in episode, because I mean, we're going to be chasing the, the 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 fugitive. I think you know for quite some for time. quite some time. Let's hope. Yeah, um, and I love I love the the dark humor, right? Like you know, from the from one of the writers of Rick and Morty, I expect well, this, this was, kind of dark this humor. Was Shakespearean Rick and Morty, essentially. Yes. You know, this scene <laughs> it was basically like what Rick would do to test the theory. You know, yeah, but yeah, but it, like it, seeing it, him release the goats <laughs> and him being like, he's like, you know, he called them his horned friends. I just was like, awesome callback to the helmet, uh, and then just shouting at the villagers, right? Just being like, they're all gonna die, and nothing matters. Woohoo! <laughs> like I was just like. This is so dark, but also so fantastic at the same time. I yeah. loved it. Very Again, cool. though, it's it's super interesting though that they figured out just a new thing to do with the whole time travel thing that someone yeah. could potentially hide within, you know, a natural disaster of an apocalypse. That you know, it actually makes sense. It but does make sense. It does make <laughs> sense because they, nothing would be of difference because the, right. the apocalypse is still happening. This this event is still happening. So no matter what, yeah. yeah so it seems Very interesting. Cool. Sweet. Uh, well, listen, once they're back, Mobius and Loki realize they need to figure out all the different doomsday events that occurred naturally, specifically, over the course of history. After hours of studying, they take a short break and grab something to eat. Loki asks uh, about Mobius's love of jet skis, and he explains that in the early 1990s, for a brief shining moment, there was a beautiful union of form and function, which we call the jet ski, and explains that even though he's never rode on one, uh, that it reminds him of what he's fighting for. Loki asks Mobius if he actually believes all this stuff about the sacred timeline, and Mobius shares the parallels of Loki's mythical life and the ridiculousness of the TVA, and that all life is just chaos. Loki remarks how Mobius called him a scared little boy, and this brings Mobius back to the gum he'd received from the scared little boy he met in the cathedral in episode one, which allows him to determine that Kablooey was sold in Haven Hills, Alabama in 2050 
and that the fugitive is hiding there during a hurricane. Mobius requests to take a task force from Ravona, and she reluctantly allows it. So guys, what did you think of Loki and Mobius's conversation here? And do you love yourself a good jet ski, Kevin? Um, a few years back, I was on a cruise and, and did some jet skiing in the in the open ocean. Yeah. And it is a horrifying experience, <laughs> let me tell you. Ripping over yeah. the open waters at 50 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, you couldn't hear it because of the engine, but I was basically yeah. going, ah, the whole time. So uh, I'm not, you know, I, I, I get the adrenaline. I just feel bad for these TVA people that they don't actually get to enjoy any enjoy real aspects stuff. of life. Yeah. That's, that's such yeah. a sad existence, it seems like, if you ask It seems me. like that would be like a TVA perk. So, like, if you're devoted to the TVA, you can go and have, like, a little, you know, fun in the 1990s. Yeah. You know, it's monitored and whatnot. And like, ride yeah, your jet you ski and come back. Time. It doesn't yeah, affect the timeline, the, you know? Yeah. You, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, look at Ravona, right? She's kind of keeping all these, like, trophies in her, in her office. And... She gets to do that. That's her version of fun, right? So I, I really hope at some point we do get to see a Loki, at, you know, and he looks over at Mobius and there's just a, some jet skis and they're just like, let's do it. And they get on some <laughs> jet skis and go for a rip. Like, please make that happen. But um, honestly, this had to be my, I think this was my favorite moment in the episode. Um, hearing him discuss jet skis, like to your point, Kevin, you know, as a reminder of what he's fighting for, like, I think it's the fact that they they're traveling through time so much and so much has shifted. They're they're everything's sort of simplified for them, right? Their goals and their aspirations. They're you know there's so much complexity in their lives, so they just long for simpler things. And specifically, riding a jet ski in Mobius's case. And um, I also loved hearing Loki try to claim that the reality that Mobius believes in is ridiculous when he comes from Asgard and is the son of a frost giant raised by the god Odin, like. It's all chaos, right? And so I just, I loved seeing this very sort of centered character in Mobius bringing this extraordinary character like Loki down to our level. Um, and so, you know, I just, I have to shout out the writing here because all of it really made a lot of sense and it was very philosophical, but it still felt accessible at the same time, which I think this show is doing in spades, honestly. And, and it has an air of fun to it. At yes. the same time, at the you same know, there's time. A, there's a there's a, a real seriousness about what they're talking about, but they're doing it in such a way that it's enjoyable and fun to watch. And that's the whole Absolutely. key to this show. Very cool. Yeah, I agree. I think the the philosophical conversation, you know, you nailed it, uh, Nate, like it, 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 it allows for for Loki to start to realize, like to come down to some more of like a centered part where 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 Mobius is and, and how Mobius like he's he's seen so much of probably so many different timelines and for him to fixate on the jet ski <laughs> yeah. from the 1990s and, and to almost idolize it and, yeah. and, you know, put it in, in this sort of like echelon of, of perfection because of its form and function. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you're right. Like, I think they see so much and they've, they've, they've realized the chaos that, that everything just comes into this for him. It comes into this like perfect, functionality and this perfect piece of of hardware just represents yeah. everything so that yeah, I think i'm sure he, there's he i'm sure idolizes. there's there's a tva agent that loves teapots right i'm sure there's a tva agent out there that loves uh the click of a keyboard like stuff like that that are just stuff that they long for those simple things but um yeah man very cool uh all right let's keep going here we're making some good time during the briefing it's explained uh that the fugitive is likely hiding inside of a warehouse owned by rocks cart Hunter B-15 explains that they need to be on high alert 
and that once they've entered through some time doors, um, that they'll they'll need to look out for another Loki. Uh, once they get through there, in uh, they're in 2050, they enter the Roxcart warehouse, and Hunter B-15 denies Mobius' request to have Loki travel with him, instead bringing Loki along with her. Meanwhile, this is all being watched by the Time Fugitive, who has set a timer for some reason. While walking with B-15, they stumble upon someone who's shopping for plants because it's a hurricane sale and azaleas are half off, which was amazing. Um, Upon approaching the individual, he grabs B-15's arm and a green energy surges through him into her as she is now possessed by the Time Fugitive. While searching through the stock rooms of the warehouse, Mobius and his group discover a large group of civilians hiding from the storm. They find Hunter C-20, and she's clearly still affected by the magic used on her, and she just keeps uttering, it's real. And that she, she also lets them know she gave away the location of the timekeeper. So guys, what, you know, before we continue, what do you think of Loki's first interaction with, well, I guess we can say Loki at this point. And what do you think of the implications of C20 revealing the location of the timekeepers? Uh, well, obviously that's that's the fugitive's goal. Now we, right. we sort of have an end game in in their 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 master plan. We don't know really what they're doing quite yet or how they're going to do it, but we now sort of have that 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 sort of plot to our whole show, I guess, is going to be this fugitive trying to do something with with the timekeepers and so that was a that was a pretty big reveal uh plot wise yeah right? i also think the why right like that's going to be the real interesting yeah, part absolutely. To, to unravel is is why is there such a, a disdain for the timekeepers right so but yeah the, the the whole part with 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 the agent that was kind of spewing that sort of rambliness um yeah i'm interested to see where that goes and how that kind of like translates she was obviously you know to your point still feeling the effects of the magic but the, the more interesting part was the interaction between loki and and loki you know, and loki yeah, for essentially sure. yeah. i mean like looking at him like do the smile back like when enchanted when when the enchanted b15 was sort of just she did that smile yeah. and then loki does his smile and it was just so perfectly like aligned and then there's this one moment in the episode where he's like oh now i understand why thor finds us so annoying like yeah. i was just yeah. like awesome like cool let's keep bringing loki back like the the fact that he's already here and he's realizing this stuff and we're only two episodes away from him being i am loki and you know like it's just it's just so well done and i believe it all and it's it's hilarious i loved i loved seeing him interact with himself um but let's get back to it here um so loki slowly walking with the enchanted b15 um you know the fugitive transfers from b15 to randy uh, and Loki continues to recognize, again, how annoying it is for him to talk to himself. After revealing uh, to the fugitive that he's gone undercover, he asks them to join him, and together they can take down the TVA and overthrow the timekeepers. To which, after about 8 to 10 seconds of consideration, the fugitive denies the offer and then transfers yet again into a large man who attacks Loki. And after a brief battle, the time fugitive reveals themselves to be... A female Loki. Who would have guessed? Um, (laughs) The timer goes off, uh, activating hundreds of reset charges that start dropping through hundreds of small time doors into different points all across history, causing a ton of Nexus events, leading to to a disastrous amount of branching timelines off the sacred timeline. The TVA responds and sends in a ton of Minutemen, 
and we see Lady Loki walk through a time door. And despite Mobius calling out to say, wait, Loki follows her through and the episode ends. So, I mean, this is really what we were all just waiting to talk about. Um, I need your reactions here. Who, who is Lady Loki really? And, you know, what do you think uh, her plan really is to send these reset charges across the sacred timeline? Uh, I'm not I'm not really uh, well versed in that. Uh, we would need our, our resident experts <laughs> on the we'll matter, but I, I can't. Uh... I can't discuss things with him quite yet, uh, as no, you know, obviously I don't want to spoil anything for right. him. So I'll have to wait to sort of get his take on on all of that. Um, but um, I, I, I mean, I'll just really quickly go back uh, before we yeah. sort of break that down. Uh, you, you had mentioned the the interaction with Loki and Loki uh, with B fifteen, but I thought the Randy interaction was really, really spectacular. That was sort of the highlight of that sequence for me, and I just thought they had so much fun, sort of passing off you know the loki character into these different people and like what a fun opportunity for those actors to get to try and channel tom hiddleston you know what i mean like that would be like such a fun script to sort of chew into so i'm sure they had a blast doing that yeah it was pretty cool yeah i i I think that um the actors that that they casted to play the enchanted versions of the loki's i thought that they were great yeah randy was probably the highlight actually of of the of that batch as for where these things are going, I, I, that's the big mystery. Like they, they really, again, they, they left this on a cliffhanger that I'm like hooked to see what's yeah. going to happen. And then you see the sort of cascading effect when they we go back to the TVA and see those branches just happening off of the main timeline. And it's like, oh, that can't be good. <laughs> no, no. Well, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm wondering if that isn't just an enormous sort of distraction or diversion that, that the TVA is going to have to address before they could possibly oh, yeah. chase the fugitive, Lady Loki, now that we know. Uh, you it just know, bought I her think some time. Exactly, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, no, yeah, no there you go. Intended. Yeah, no yeah. pun intended. Literally not intended. But no, no, no. Yeah. But I love that because that, you know, you look at, um, it, it, we, we looked at the Infinity Stones being used as little sort of uh, paperweights in the previous episode. And so even this, we're watching this moment unfold. And in our minds, it's like, oh, this is insane. This is crazy. This is going to change everything. And probably to her, she's probably just like, great, that'll just knock them back, you know, a little yeah, bit of time. No, and that way I can I can go and get these uh, these timekeepers. You're right. Like it could just be a plot element to advance this, the narrative forward, so that you know she she buys herself more time, so she can track down these timekeepers. I I think though the next episode at least I feel like it's going to be a cat and mouse sort of thing. Yeah, and I feel like maybe in this process there might be some understanding. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, so. I just I feel like the reason why he jumped through that is that he needed to know more. Hundred percent no more. Well, yeah. he's in, he's in, he's very intrigued, right? Like this this woman just caused more chaos than he ever has in his entire life, and she did it, you know, in a in a matter of of moments. Um, and like, I but I do love like when she takes her hood down and she just looks at him, and and in a show called Loki, she goes, "This isn't about you." <laughs> like yeah. it's just it's just so perfect. Um, and yeah, I think you're right, Justin. I think we're gonna see her be a little bit more of a friend than a foe by the end of the. The series, and I, um, I think this is just kind of the beginning, and we'll end up maybe liking her, or you know, Lady Loki, or maybe she'll just call herself Randy from now on. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting but, to see. That's definitely yeah. the the cliffhanger for this episode to to learn right. more. 
I also wanted to just shout out uh, the credits. You actually do see her now in the credits yeah. uh, and a picture of her yeah. um, where we didn't see her before. And I also wanted to shout out, I don't know if this was in the first episode, but we were talking so uh, so lovingly and longingly about the, the music in this uh, series. And Natalie Holt's name comes up. And when it does, you see a metronome on the screen. And I'm just like, that's such a great nod to both her role in the production and time at the same time. I just, I don't know. I dug it. There's so much to like sort of gobble up in those uh, end credits that I haven't watched a YouTube video yet for it, but I'm going to. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot to dissect. And I just, right. for anybody still complaining that the end credit sequences are so long, they they simply don't understand how all of this is working. It's not taking away time from the actual show. Disney Plus right. can make an episode as long as they want. So yeah. they, they've made their episode the length that they want it. And then this is the length that the credits simply need to be to fit in the amount of credit that they need to give the enormous staff that goes behind these television shows. Yeah, they're, they're movies. Yeah. They're yes. productions yeah. of movies. Exactly. And they're doing something during those to give you little maybe Easter eggs, to give you sort of nods to things that are happening or might happen. Or, you know, they're, 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 they're at least interesting at the same time as they are, you know, obviously giving their due credit. Well, but again, right, for anybody yeah. listening who thinks that, well, if the credits weren't so long, the show could be longer. I, I keep reading it everywhere. I read it for WandaVision and Falcon and all these things. And it's just like <laughs> enough yeah. people, enough. Well, listen, let's, let's, let's give our credits to this episode with our final rating. And then we'll get to our mid credit scene where we'll talk about what might be next. But guys, I want to hear your final thoughts uh, as well as your final score, uh, which we're going to be ranking on a scale of one to five azalea plants on sale. Uh, so Justin, let's start with yourself. Yeah. I love the episode. I, I think it leaves you with a great sort of cliffhanger. Um, the deepening of the buddy cop relationship between Loki and Mobius was great. Uh, really nice dialogue moments. Um, and all just sort of situated around like sort of a cat and mouse chase, if, if you will. I felt very traditional crime film. Uh, but the cliffhanger definitely leaves you, uh, leaves me wanting more. And uh, for that, I'll give it a 4.5 out of 5. Kevin, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I think, I think the strongest aspect of this episode was that sort of buddy cop relationship and the strengthening of, of the, the friendship and, and the, the growing of the understanding between Loki and, and Mobius. And, and some of the dialogue was just so wonderfully Marvel and funny uh, while also being informative. And uh, it's just, you know, while the show is very non-formulaic, uh, it does still follow that Marvel formula of what has worked for them for so long. Um, and so uh, I, I just I really do hope that that isn't the last we see of them sort of teaming up together to sort of solve a mystery or or crack so. the case, if you yeah. will. I mean, it, it. I don't know. It felt to me like he was escaping. You know, he was like, this is my chance to sort of right. get out of here and and him, him and out. him and Lady Loki are now going to have that. Yeah, the relationship, yeah. right? So, going forward. Um, but Not I like mean, uh, another thing I really liked from the episode was again going to Pompeii. I really hope we do get to go to a few more historical locations and events, uh, you know, throughout history over the course of the show, just because that's what I was really looking forward to in the show itself. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, I, again, I think it was a really, really strong follow up. Justin, you, you, you nailed it. The biggest the biggest takeaway from this episode was that sort of reveal of, of who the fugitive was at the end. And it, and it did such a great job of like, Oh, now I need episode three really, really bad. And so I think it was another really, really successful episode, a really strong follow-up to the first one. 
Um, and now my score is going to be a little lower than my score for the first episode. Uh, but I don't want that to suggest that I didn't think the episode was great or even as good as the first one. I think my f- score for the first one was coming off of a lot of adrenaline. It was exciting <laughs> to get this show that we'd been waiting for and all right. the circumstances. So, um, But uh, honestly, this is a really solid episode that I'm going to give 4.75 out of 5 Azalea Plants on Sale. There you go. Very cool. Yeah, um, yeah I agree with all that. I, like, it was such a great second episode. Um, again, the first one had a lot of emphasis on exposition to catch us up and Loki up. Um, but now honestly, the show is starting to show its identity. I think with, with themes of the themes of crime drama, I think we're still going to get more of that as we explore Mobius's character, even if it is maybe with Loki physically in the room. Um, and it blends action and slower dialogue scenes really well. I loved the countless quips from Loki defending his ego throughout the entire episode. Uh, and the reveal at the end was was great. Not only seeing a female Loki after they like throughout the entire episode, they kept saying him and he when they were referring to the the fugitive. So kind of gave it away a little bit, but um, but I don't know the the cliffhanger sort of universe changing plot twist um, that we've already gotten two episodes in. I am I'm just really excited to see where they take it, uh, and I hope they keep the momentum going and really emphasize kind of the scope of what this series can do and these characters can do for the MCU as a whole. You know, I think we talked about WandaVision and we talked about um, Falcon and Winter Soldier and really how much impact will they have with WandaVision maybe having a little more, Falcon and Winter Soldier maybe having a little bit of less of an impact. Um, but this kind of has a an entire universe impact, potentially. Um, so I didn't, I didn't quite enjoy, I don't think it nailed everything that we talked about uh, as much as the first episode did, um, I mean, I, I guess I just like more dialogue than action. And so some of the action moments in the episode did feel a little bit weak. Um, so I'm going to give this episode 4.5 uh, out of 5 Azalea Plants on Sale. Um, so on Watch Club, we like to end by giving our thoughts on what we might see in the next episode or in the series overall. So after a week of waiting, we finally get to share our low-key perspective on what's going to happen next. So, Kevin, can you give me your low-key perspective, my guy? Okay, well, as everyone who's been following our watch clubs knows, I'm not great with the predictions. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I just, I don't know, I, I just keep having this this dreadful feeling that Loki's not going to be this sort of good guy or anti-hero that we thought he was going to be that was sort of the setup in the first two episodes and the only reason i say that is and again i don't like to pay too much attention to trailers obviously there's not like a a clips from the next episode but i've seen enough stills to sort of see things that you know i was wondering when we would see them in the show and we didn't see them in these first two episodes and there's just a couple shots of loki back with his big horns on he looks like he's almost leading a group of soldiers of some sort in in the one image that I'm 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 thinking of specifically and that just feels like old school trying to take over bad guy Loki and so I just have these like this ooh, terrible feeling that our buddy cop sort of relationship might not uh play through the whole show as much mm. as I wanted to and so I hope that in terms of this prediction I am dead wrong 
<laughs> I hope so too. Like I, I do want to see them interact again, but I mean, maybe, maybe they built up this friendship uh, to your point, Kevin, to tear it down um, and to kind of cause that sort of dissent uh, through, through those, those. So, so Ravona uh, can say, I told you not to trust him. You know? Right. Exactly. Right. And then you, you've got, you've got that play off that Justin, um, what is your low key perspective? Uh, yeah. I think that, you know, we, we're not going to have the two of them together for the next couple episodes, but they'll get yeah. back together. I think the reason why he jumped through that, that portal was to learn more. He wasn't going to learn more if he stayed with Mobius. So he said, I- I'm going to just find out what's going on. And I think at least the next episode or the episode after will be even more of a cat and mouse, but just between the two Lokis and maybe he'll learn a little bit more. They've, they've only really kind of begun the sort of buddy cop relationship in these first two episodes or, or a friendship. So there's, in my opinion, to, to tear it down, as you said, Nate, I don't think that there's enough there to actually do that. But I do mm, okay. think that Mobius is going to have to deal with the repercussions of the events of what just happened. You know, Loki got away and there's a Nexus event that's happened across multiple timelines. So it's like, you know, it didn't they didn't get what they were looking for. They didn't get the variant and they lost a variant. So um, it's it's going to be Mobius is going to have to probably deal with Ravonna. deal with that. Yeah. 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 And I think I think what's going to happen is Loki will find himself back at TVA chasing down uh, uh, Lady Loki. Cool. Okay. Um, I have a Loki perspective, but it came, it came from a very low key place. It's kind of a blink and you missed it sort of thing. Um, but I'm going to probably get a little high key as I get stoked to talk about it. Um, did you guys happen to see the list of places that were affected by the reset charges? Um, did you guys catch any of those? Did I you did see them? Not. So Ravona's sitting in her office, right? And she sees the like all the different things pop up in terms of the different places that were being affected. And so, okay, let me go through this here. Vormir, which is where we last saw Natasha Romanoff give her life, right? So we've got a connection to Black Widow. Yeah, right? and which also is crazy. the Soul Stone. That's where the Soul Stone and the, is. And the Soul Stone, right? We've got Sakar, which showed up. Uh, which we know is a, you know where we are for a majority of Thor Ragnarok, right? And so that's where the Grand Master is from. So maybe there's a connection to somehow changing Ragnarok and and Asgard. Again, I'm not sure if they're going to. They they probably won't explain this all in one show. But I'm I, there's got to be something going on. Ego, the living planet, is one of the things that's listed. Well, it just says ego, but you know he, he's a celestial. Is there a connection to the Eternals? Titan where half of the Avengers fought Thanos is listed. New York, of course, where the conflict and the Avengers happen, and we see that in the trailer, so obviously he's going to go to New York at some point. Tokyo, right, where we know Hawkeye lived in exile, and Xandar, uh, which is a place that the Guardians of the Galaxy saved at least twice so far in the MCU. And so is there a connection to Guardians 3? Like, the big thing is, I'm just saying, these implications could have massive effects for what we've seen before they could change anything up to this point and honestly i thought it would be really dumb to have natasha romanoff come back into the series into the mcu but now if they if they get this guy to write how all this stuff comes back and works with kevin feige closely because he's already doing multiverse of madness i'm just saying any single one of these things that i just listed could occur and i'd probably be okay with it 
Well, yeah. And is is Lady Loki perhaps working with a variant of Thanos to oh stop, gosh. you know, right. the, the, all of the events? I don't know. I don't know if they really want to go back and revisit too much of sure. the previous three phases because uh, then things can get really messy and and a little contrived and, and it sort of well, yeah. diminishes the impact of those. Yeah. Of those events. 100%. Yes. yeah for, yeah. for, for, for all of these events to be taking place in those familiar locations is very intriguing. I did. I right? didn't even think to sort of try and pause and look and see and, if and I like, could spot. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just for this series though. Right. Cause like if their end goal of the TVA is to sort of fix all this stuff, maybe they still do end up fixing all this stuff. Maybe Loki still has to die. You know what I mean? Like maybe he's he sacrifices himself as a hero, which is something I predicted uh, when we were looking at the trailers. Um, but I don't know. That's that's just my low key perspective. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's an interesting one that with the list of planets that they've because yeah, Boromir there was a soul stone, New York there was a soul uh, there was a stone there. There's two stones there. Right? right. It's kind of similar to how they kind of figured out to time travel to the different parts, right? To to kind of get everything. So. Um, I'm not to say that the stones might have anything to do with it, but you know, things have happened in those places. So yeah, it's, uh, that'll, that'll be interesting to see if it does have any ramifications. I do like that. You called it Boromir. No, <laughs> yeah, Boromir. One, one Boromir. does not simply mess with time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lord of the Boromir. Rings nerds out there, right? Boromir. Boromir. Sorry. Yeah. Boromir. Um, no. Yeah. Like I, I, uh, I really hope that they, after establishing that the Infinity Stones don't really mean anything, I hope they keep that going. Um, but I do hope that we get to maybe, like, you know, kind of go back to some of these moments, these epic moments of the MCU, and see some of these actors uh, again. Well, we will have to see. Uh, and that's it for, for this episode. We hope you enjoyed this week's time-twisted episode of Watch Club. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. Also, if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or your low-key perspective on what you think is going to happen. Is that the full title? Is that what it is? Um, you know, let us know. Here's the thing. You don't have to drop reset charges through a series of time doors, thus bombing the sacred timeline, causing a copious amount of branches seemingly impossible to fix. Instead, <laughs> Justin, can you let the listeners know where and when they can write into the show? Well, as always, when is up to you. But where <laughs> is wearegeekcentric at gmail.com? That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Awesome. Justin, can you say it all backwards now, please? No. <laughs> I thought he would at least try. I thought he would at least try. Also, if you don't know, we have more than just Watch Club. We have our regular episodes of the Geekcentric Podcast. And while we're reviewing all this Loki, maybe go back and give some of our other episodes a listen. Uh, like, for instance, our Bad Batches Faker Real episode where I made, you know, made up some Marvel characters and also named some that were real. And all of you guys, like you guys, well, I won't spoil it, but go go back and listen to it. Um, or I loved our Fanfare episode where Justin and I go ear to ear to match the studio to their opening Fanfare. Uh, Kevin hosted that one. I just thought it was such a great idea. So go give those a listen and a nice five star rating because you are burdened with glorious purpose. Oh, and speaking of bad batches, if you want to join some batches, uh, Justin, Darcy, and I for another watch club, uh, we've got our Star Wars The Bad Batch going up every single week as well. Um, so it's so much fun doing that, and uh, we hope that you can kind of come on over and enjoy everything that Geekcentric has to offer. Justin, 
Kevin, thank you so much for joining me for today's Nexus event-filled watch club. And as we say, for all time, always. always.